And welcome to The Leading Edge, where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. We're happy to have you back for part two of the interview with Canadian umpire, Olympic attendee, country star jamboree specialist, and Manitoba's own, Brian Hodgson. Topics we look to cover are attending the 2008 Olympics in Beijing, China, where we discuss the language barrier, the food, and the overall experience. We also dive into his golf handicap, his local legends, where Brian gets a really good deal on getting free umpire equipment, and of course, everyone's favorite, 10 questions. So sit back, relax, get ready. It's coming! baseball and umpire fans and welcome back to another episode of the leading edge where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate as i mentioned in the intro this is the second half to the interview with canadian's own brian hodgson i feel like i should do an intro but wouldn't that just ruin the first episode so if you're interested in listening to the first half which i assume you are because you're here listening to the second half check it out on podbean spotify tune in amazon alexa youtube Apple iTunes podcast, anywhere you really podcast, go find it, search it, share it, please get the word out. Now, if we are going to share stuff, check us out on Facebook, Leading Edge Umpire Stories, share with it, go post, you never know what's going to come up there. So check us out, Facebook, Leading Edge Umpire Stories. Now, I just want to give two big shout outs. One to everyone that has sent me a message or has given me a shout out for roping that calf or wrangling that calf. Hey, pretty proud of it. I know it was a long story, but you enjoyed every minute of it, and you're jealous. And the second thing I want to do is give a big shout out to former guest from Nova Scotia, Alex Lowry. Got a message from him the other day saying that he has been promoted from rookie ball to class A. He has now officially been promoted to the Florida State League. So, Alex, all the best. Good luck. Keep up the good work. Represent Canada and yourself well. Great to hear. Now, if this intro seems rushed, it is because I want to get it to you just as much as you want to hear it. So without further ado, Leading Edge Entertainment is proud to present to you the second half of the interview with Manitoba's own Brian Hodgson. Now, Brian, we spent a little bit of time here on your international events, but I think it's time that we move on to the pinnacle, the big one of any amateur umpire's career. 2008 Beijing, the Olympics. How and when did you get the notification that you were going? Was it the week before? Did you have to clear your curling schedule? Oh, no. <laughs> no, no. It was, the, the Baseball Canada um, convention is typically in the fall, like a Halloween, November kind of thing. And Larry Nichols was our UIC at the time, and he came back from from that tournament and notified me. So I would say it was probably around the 1st of November, uh, the year before. Okay. So, so two, uh, November 2007 is when probably I got notified. So you had a few sleeps to really think on it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. So you get the notification. Did you prepare differently going into that championship that season? Or were you just like, you know what? I, I'm excited. I'm just going to do the best I can. 
I can't say that I did anything out of the ordinary. I was I was umpiring professional baseball at that time in, in Winnipeg. So I mean, uh, I I thought that that was probably good enough uh, preparation. Oh. How many games in total did you work? In in uh, in the Olympics, yeah. I was I'm going to say seven or eight. Seven or eight. So you're busy every day, really. Yeah, they, they, you did one a day kind of thing, and and you had lots of off days. I mean, they I we were there 13 days, I think. Uh, the baseball probably of the 13 days probably occurred on 10 of those probably, and I did like eight games. Were you there for the opening ceremonies or the closing ceremonies? Uh, we were there for the closing ceremony. Was it as big as a production as we think we see on TV? Well, it, we're done obviously at that point in time, and it was. I've never seen a production uh, run clockwork like they did in China. I mean, security-wise, yes, everything had to be very secure. Right. But, but I mean, they had, I don't know how far it was from, from where we stayed to the uh, crow's nest, which was the, the bird's nest, sorry, the yeah. bird's nest, the bird's nest. That's what they called the the main stadium, right? Yeah, that, that's where the the Summer Olympics were. You know, all the track and field was there, but that was where the 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 opening ceremonies and the closing ceremonies was for 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 us. There was you know ninety thousand people. Yeah, it was huge. Oh, and going to the ball, going to the bird's nest, uh, they had military people. I was standing at attention along the road, like we're we're driving down the road, and it's just our vehicle. I mean, they they've got they've closed traffic off for everybody else, but the Olympic people. And, uh, I mean, there's guards standing at every, you know, 50 feet. I mean, it was for two miles. I mean, it was unbelievable. <laughs> Just putting people in jobs. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> was getting around easy? You know, did you experience any culture shock? Was it difficult moving around? Was it? Well, it was, the culture shock was, I mean, they had sent us pictures of uh, what Beijing looked like, right? you know, a month before. And, you, you know, it, it was it was so smoggy, you, you, you couldn't see across the street kind of thing. It was that bad. But they shut down all their factories, That's, you know, yep. how, how much in, in front of the Olympics. And so when we got there, then, you know, the sky was as blue as it is here. I mean, it really didn't look any different, the skyline. Uh, the people totally different i mean if you were if you were wearing uh uh olympic credentials like your, yep. your tag and whatnot you were a, a rock star i i can't tell you how many times i got asked to have my picture taken with mom and dad and the two kids you know you know standing yeah, you know, shoulder, yeah. shoulder to shoulder i mean i bet you i had i don't know lots lots of time lots of that happened a lot they heard that you were the big shooter here he comes <laughs> Well, it wasn't just me. It was anybody wearing the Olympic credentials. Oh, yeah. We would go to a, a bar, like you, you know here and in, in, anywhere else in the world. It's not like there. Uh, nope. you, you're sitting, you're sitting at, you're drinking out of a, a two-liter bottle of beer that cost you ninety cents, kind of thing. Right. I mean, just it's nothing fancy. Believe me, nothing fancy. You know, it is what it is, and the collegiality of umpire and sport really brings us together. Now, Brian, what was the food like as a participant or an official? We all see the commercials all the time of McDonald's sponsoring the Olympics, but share with us what it was like. It was disappointing. Oh, fair. I'll tell you that. 
It was disappointing. Now they put us up in a in a hotel, which was a first class hotel, and you know we were, we each had our own rooms, blah blah blah. But and you would go down, and uh, the only meal that they gave you was breakfast. Okay. The per diem was supposed to cover anything other than breakfast, so they called it a Western breakfast because it was all mostly Western people that were there. But it was the furthest thing from a Western breakfast that you would ever. Yes, they had eggs. Yes, they had coffee, but it was the coffee was just god awful. Nobody knew what to do with these eggs. I mean, <laughs> the Chinese culture says you have you know noodles and roots for breakfast right <laughs> so it's foreign to them and tea and tea tea, and tea. Is, tea is really big tea is really big so we had to, there was one of the one of the puerto rican guys actually put an apron on and i mean all the stuff was there to, to make an omelet and whatnot but nobody knew how to do it <laughs> so, so hey got you looked after we got we were looked after you know and it was you know you, you would go down the street at night and, uh, oh, there's a pizza hut. Well, we'll order a pizza. Can't, you know, it's got to be good. Well, a pizza would come and it would be like a four-foot square pizza. And it was just like uh, wet soda crackers. That's what that's the texture of it. It was just awful. Oh. Just, just awful. I always but say the food. I oh. wanted Chinese food. Oh, that, that was good. <laughs> So you got to you got to indulge yourself into the little Asian cuisine, did you? Yeah, yeah. The uh, you know, and the one of the sponsors, uh, the, the officials of sponsors was SSK. Yeah. Before the uh, the tournament started, they they took us to their warehouse, I guess. Yep. And we were able to pick out whatever shoes. Wow. Chest protectors, mask, whatever you wanted, you could take. And then that night they hosted a banquet, and this banquet was, you know, list talking to the local Taipei guy and the local Chinese umpire and whatnot. This is like the Cadillac of Cadillac meals. I mean, so we had, uh, you know, shark soup and uh, yep. you know, th you know, th these really weird, weird kind of things. Uh, pigeon, pigeon eggs, like a like really? they were like yep. they were like. Um, uh, hard-boiled uh, pickled pickled stuff it was I mean it was really quite different uh, uh, <laughs> octopus uh, I mean in in the Chinese scheme of things this is the the steak and potatoes of their culture but you know for somebody that comes from Canada yeah I could could have taken another leave other than the, the show it was a great show sure. great You'll take the poutine at your local curling club on a Thursday night. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that tournament, let's talk quickly about Team Canada. I mean, you have some you have some baseball, uh, Major League Baseball people on that team. You had Rayal Cormier and then Michael Saunders. Uh-huh. Brett Laurie. Let's come back. Stubby Clap. Stubby Clap. <laughs> you and yeah. Stubby seem to be following each other, but that's okay. You know, when you go to these tournaments, uh, Phil, you, because you're from Canada, you you never do Canada, right? So, so, and they didn't do that well in that tournament. I, I really did not have a whole lot to do with them. Never saw them. Never saw them play. Really, just didn't get a chance nope. to get to the park at the same time. Nope, never, did, never ever did. 
and, and Terry Poole was their manager. I was going to say Saskatchewan native Terry Poole. Some of the other teams, though, they had. I was I was just re- reviewing some of my notes from way back then. Like you know, uh, Yuli Guriel was on, was on the Cuban team that year, so he would have been like he's about thirty eight years old now. I would guess thirty seven, and that's you know like fourteen years ago. So he would have been twenty four. Uh, Japan had you uh, Darvish and uh, uh, Steve Strasburg was there. Was he there as well? T- Tanaka, oh, Tanaka t- was. He was on the Japanese team. Uh, Strasburg, Jake Arrieta was on that team. Yeah, there, there was some. Good, there were some really good ball players. It's. I mean, it's the Olympics. Some countries take it. You're going to look at South Korea, Japan, Chinese Taipei. They're sending their professional athletes there as well. We just don't really know them like we do today. Exactly. Local legends, as you could call them. Even even the umpires were, were professional umpires. That's all they did. Well, Brian, we've talked about it here before with other guests. Asian baseball, a little bit different than the North American game. What was it like umpiring with professional Asian umpires? Uh, it was different. <laughs> uh, I, I should tell you a story. <laughs> yeah, please do. That's why we're here. I'll tell you a story. One of the things I get asked probably the most in doing international baseball is the, is the language issue. The language issue. How do you get around the language issue? And I said, well, I'm not typically always like an umpire, you say, well, an out's an out, a safe's a safe, you know, right. strikes a strike. And and if you, if it gets down to it, you have interpreters, like translators. Well, this I'll tell you, this is, has to do with the translator. We were doing. I was doing a game, and it was China was playing Korea, okay. and Korea Korea ended up winning the tournament. So they were the best team. China was the worst team. Well, we're we're playing in a like a scoreless game, and it's about the sixth inning. And I'm at first base. Uh, the Japanese guy was on the plate. The Cuban guy was at second. And the Dutch guy was at third. It's nothing, nothing, like the sixth inning. And the third out is a routine force out at second base. The Cuban umpire is at second base. And it's a, the third out for Korea. Ends the inning. They're, they're changing. And out comes the Korean manager. And I'm over at first base. And he... He comes out and he walks out, and I don't know if you've ever done international baseball. The they show no emotion on their faces. They're not. They're just yep. blah. Yep. They're just blah. And he comes out and he goes in Korean. Blah 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 blah. And the Cuban guy's looking at him like we don't know what he's saying. The interpreter, the translator's standing right beside him. And he went on for like a minute, which is a long time. Right. <laughs> and that, I mean, yep. A long time with that scenario. And I finally said to the, because the interpreter spoke Korean, the interpreter spoke English, didn't speak Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't speak Spanish either. No, I, I didn't speak Spanish. The Cuban didn't speak English. <laughs> so he finishes. Uh, so I look at the interpreter, the translator, and it's just a young university student. And he, he looks at me. He points at the Cuban umper. He says, he cheats. <laughs> that was two words. He spoke for a minute. And it translated into, he cheats. He cheats. Oh. So I just took the Cuban guy by the shoulder, and we, w- we walked out to the outfield, and I said, hell with those guys. <laughs> and, they, and they went away. The problem was it was nothing, nothing in a game that they should be winning. That was the problem. <laughs> You used to see that all the time in international baseball, language barrier. But the other thing was the international game at one time was slow as can be. 
It was almost as if the game was secondary to all the stuff going on outside of the game. I should tell you about the uh, the uh, that was the first tournament that in, they incorporated the uh, speed up rules in extra innings. Right. Okay. That game actually went it, into extra innings. It was still nothing, nothing. What typically happened, and I don't know, uh, should I explain what the well, how all this worked? They you were allowed to put two guys you, after right. the. Tenth inning. Tenth inning was straight up baseball. Right. The eleventh inning is still tied. The manager would come out to the home plate guy. He says, "Okay, I want this guy to hit." And just jog my memory, Brian. They got to pick, right? Yes. You. You. They. They just. You just. They held out the lineup card, and I said, "I want this guy to hit." So the two guys in front of him went to first and second. And typically, what they did is they would bunt. That was typically what happened right. so that they have guys at second and third with one out and you know the presumably their best hitter up or one of their best hitters in, the, in that particular game china, china korea got one run in, okay. in their half inning in the in the 11th inning so Ch- china's now batting they do put their two guys on they put the bunt down there's second and third one out the guy hits a routine fly ball to center field the guy tags up and scores the, the tying run. Right. Well, the throw comes in. That's the second out. The throw comes in and boom, it goes over to third base. Boom. The guy's out on appeal. <laughs> at third base. China was in the third base dugout and their manager was Jim Lefevre. I don't know if that name means anything to you or not. He was, he was a big time player with the Dodgers when, uh, when they were Sandy Koufax, Drysdale days. Look, Maury Wills, that that era. So just like he, Windsor, this guy is getting paid. That's that's why oh, he's yeah. there. Big, 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 big money. He's getting paid. He's, he's the big, big the, shooter. He's in the third base dugout. So he's got a really good look at this, right? And he comes out to the Dutch umpire at third base. And you know what he said? By how much? By how much? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, um, and the Dutch guy says, well, quite a bit. Because that ended the game. Oh, great. That, yeah, that, that would have... <laughs> that ended the game. <laughs> that was how it was. And there was no replay then. There's none of that stuff. This is a famous post-show edit. With the power of the internet, nothing goes away these days. I have found a link to that game. You can find it in the show description. Korea versus China preliminary match. Baseball Beijing 2008 replay. Now, if you're looking for that specific play, go to timestamp one hour, 42 minutes even, and it will just be right before the play starts. With that being said, back to the show. I got, and I got to tell you one more th- one other thing, because one of the first games that I did in that tournament was, was U.S. and Cuba, and I was doing third base. And it went to extra innings, and I got to tell you what, what the Cubans did. You know, the Americans... You know, they put their two guys on. The guy puts down his butt. They move him up. They got first base open. They're going to walk. That's the best hitter. Oh. They're going to walk him, but no. Boom. They just drill him. <laughs> <laughs> Why waste four pitches? Just yeah. Drill the guy. <laughs> okay, take your base. <laughs> Send the message, right? Jeez. <laughs> oh, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> Talk about gamesmanship, right? <laughs> oh. It's so funny that you mentioned that story where the manager comes out and goes, he cheats, you cheat. Because it's, it kind of reminds me of, actually tonight I was watching the Blue Jays game and Marty Foster's doing the plate and Seattle beaks out 
starts yelling and Marty, you can hear it playing his day on TV. That mic didn't cut out. It goes, it's not down. I'll call them, not you. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that too. Yeah. So I'll, I'll see if I can find that clip and I'll share that for everybody. But I couldn't imagine just be on the field. Just put your arm around the guy and say, yeah, we're probably not welcomed here right now. <laughs> well, we just, why well, just, I just got to get out of here. <laughs> that joys of a international baseball and the, and the stories you bring home. Yeah. Now I got to ask, I don't, this, this show is about you and we've mentioned his name once, but Ron Suchuk went with you. Oh yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to be honest here. We, we, we're going to talk professional baseball, but both from Manitoba, what was it like going with a fellow Manitoban? And I'm going to say probably a good friend of yours. Well, you're, you're absolutely correct in everything that you said there. Uh, I mean, w- when it happened, we, we really couldn't believe it because, I mean, that's unheard of that, you know, we get two assignments and both guys are from Manitoba. Are you kidding me? But, right. but having said that, uh, I guess we both deserved to go, and uh, it was great. You know, somebody that, I mean, it, it, it's an 11-hour flight from Vancouver, number one. Right. I mean, it's all day to get there an all day to get home. So you got to really know, you know, the fellow that you're with. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I know him too well. <laughs> <laughs> well, you spent all that time in the Brown van. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, did you put that on your resume? Yeah, we can go to the Olympics together. We've well, done the Brown van. Well, since he's got his seat, his uh, seatbelt machine, he's a lot easier <laughs> to hang around with. <laughs> Before that, you I mean, he, you couldn't even sleep upstairs when he was in the basement. Just like an old married couple. He sounded like a freaking elephant. <laughs> well, you say at the time that it's uh, it's uncommon. I mean, at that time, there had only been five other individuals that had been to the Olympic Games from Canada. Yes. You know, yeah, you're, when you the, think it that way, you're right. But our, our careers kind of paralleled each other's a little bit. I mean, like we kind of went to the same places at the same times and and uh, same championships at the same time. So uh, I guess it does make a little bit of sense that we were, we were chosen at the same time. Yeah, and I'll appreciate that forever too. And I'm going to ask you, we talk, I've talked to kids before. I've talked to young umpires to find a buddy to really push each other, to become better umpires. Would it be safe to say that you oh, guys yeah. pushed each other to be better umpires over the years? Yeah, well, there's... I mean, there's some pretty long trips from uh, from Lethbridge to Mess. <laughs> a swift current. What about from Cranbrook to Edmonton? Well, yeah. <laughs> I've heard his stories of twelve thousand times. And I mean, I've heard that one, Ron. <laughs> I just, I'm just curious. After all these years, how far is a moose jaw? <laughs> Oh, no, no, where is a moose jaw? Moose jaw. Where is a moose jaw? Oh, you know where it is. Eight feet from his ass. But but having said that, if you want to talk baseball, he's the, he's the type of guy that will never stop. And he's very well respected across the country. And and uh, I dare say maybe even further than that. So. Brian, I couldn't agree more or said it better myself. Ron Suchuk is a legend and well-respected. And I'll say a loyal supporter of the show. So thanks, Ron. And let's keep it on Manitoba real quick, and we'll go to the next topic. But Manitoba, when it comes to Olympic umpires, with the 20, well, I don't know what they called it, 2021, 20 Olympics, whatever it is, shares it now with Ontario. But three Olympic umpires from Manitoba. Considering how big Manitoba is, it seems to be center of the Canadian umpire universe. 
you see my gray hair here. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's different now. Uh, there's not as much baseball. Number one, okay. It's going to be a lot more difficult for somebody else to get to an, another Olympics, even if baseball is even played, because. Okay. After two, we were the answer to a trivia question: Who were the last Canadian umpires at an Olympics? And it was us for a, a whole long time. Right. And it's it's going to continue to be that way, in my opinion. I mean, if it's going, if the if the Olympics are going to be in Italy, there's no way that there's going to be baseball being played. I mean, there was no baseball even in Rio. It, it really is dependent on if baseball is on the docket. But yeah. and I, I say this because I just want to give people the. Anybody listen? Any young umpires listening? You know, it doesn't matter where you come from. Work hard, try your best. There are potential. Yeah. Yes, there's gonna, there could be barriers. Yes, there could be obstacles you'll have to overcome. But you know what? You have to come from somewhere. And it helps be a little bit politically correct. And uh, I, I dare say that list of umpires, they are all politically correct yep. because if they're not going to send somebody that's going to, mm. you know, diss the country. No, okay. Kind of no question. You got to represent yourself first, and but most yep. importantly, represent the country. Yep. We'll touch really quick. Where you mentioned you have some professional baseball experience under your belt. Share with us where and what leagues that you've worked. Uh, the only leagues I've worked are the Northern League and the American Association. Now, the Northern League started in 1993, and Winnipeg didn't even have a team at that particular year. Okay. But th- but Thunder Bay did. And they needed umpires. So Ron and I and a couple of other guys made trips to Thunder Bay to cover their their home games. And that was year number one. Year number two was 1994, and Winnipeg had a team. It's unique in that, yes, they had a team, and they actually won the league that year. What was unique about the Winnipeg franchise is that they played in Winnipeg football stadium. And it was artificial turf. It was jammed into one end zone corner. The dimensions are all wrong. It was, you know, 425 feet to the right center and uh, straightaway left field was uh, 310. <laughs> straightaway left field. I mean, it was, it was, it was not ideal. And uh, it was all artificial turf. They had little cutouts for the plate and the bases and the mound kind of thing. Which was nice because your shoes never got dirty, but uh, it wasn't ideal. And uh, they played there until the the Shaw Park opened in 1999. Just in time for that Pan Am game. Now, sounds like that stadium was a little bit like the original Toronto Blue Jays exhibition stadium. Yep, it was. And everything was, the outfield fence was all, I'm not going to say artificial, but temporary is maybe a better word. The outfield fence was the was the sideline bleachers on le- at left field. They, they, they put a, a like a a regular f- a fence from kind of like center field to the right field corner. Okay, interesting. So, but it was like you're right in, in the, when you say the original Blue Jays because it was never a sellout because you just keep kept selling those seats. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you you just get further and further away. <laughs> Another post-show edit, as we like to do here on Leading Edge, we like to share with Canadian history of baseball and various aspects unique to the game. Check out a link in our show description, Deformity Field Remembered. It's a page that describes Deformity Field or the baseball field at the Winnipeg Football Stadium where the Winnipeg Gold Eyes played between 1994 and 1998, as we've just discussed. 
So check out the link in our show description. Now back to the show. How far was it to Thunder Bay? Oh, yeah. It's an eight-hour drive. We'd always play at least two series, maybe three in okay. a row at home. Eight to ten so, games. So you would go there for six for sure, maybe nine, and, and just stay there for like a week to ten days kind of thing. So a lot of time, the tra- a lot of travel time, but a lot of opportunity to work the best baseball available to you at the time. Well, at, at that time, that first particular year it was it was it was two men. So I mean, when so yeah. we would go to Thunder Bay, it would be me if it was me that was there, and I, and there was two guys from Thunder Bay. And that's that's what you would do for the week that, or whatever. That, yeah, I would work for that guy with for a week or ten days kind of thing, and just rotate back and forth every night. Yep. The teams must have loved not that by I, the end of it. Not, not ideal. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned that was the Northern League at the time. Mm-hmm. And then you say it eventually trans- transitioned over the, to the trans- Americaners. Transitioned into the American Association. And, and they started bringing their own crews at that point, And that's when we got out of it. Fair enough. But there were some great players. I mean, Hal Lanier was the coach forever. You know, the Winnipeg franchise. I mean, I mean he lost in the World Series, for God's sake. So he was... He knew his way around a baseball field. Very professional. And there were some characters in that league, too, like a Strawberry played in that league. and Before or after his major league stint? He would get into trouble. He'd come back to the Northern League. He would clean himself up and then go back to the major leagues, and he would be back to the Northern League again. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I never did see him play, but uh, he came at the same time as Jack Morris. I saw Jack Morris play one night. Really? Yep. That was that was interesting, and he just hated that ballpark. I mean, at the, especially at the end of the year, the, the sun was would start shining through the backstop and right in the pitcher's eyes, right. <laughs> so, and he was they were playing a great game uh, against Winnipeg, and uh, it got down to the nitty gritty at the end. And some guy from Winnipeg hit a lollipop, you know, two or three run homer, which which landed a foot into the. Th- 310 yard 10 foot seats and 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 he lost the game well he was pissed off he he had nothing good to say about winnipeg and maybe rightly so him and daryl both played for what the saint paul saints saint paul saints at different times yeah saint paul saints were one of the better franchises in the league so winnipeg always had pretty good series when they played them ah so cool so cool okay let's move on from your playing days let's just a few accolades i tell you a man of multiple recognition awards you know 93 baseball manitoba umpire award of merit then we're going to move to 1999 you get the baseball canada dick willis award in 2012 you're introduced into the manitoba baseball hall of fame and then 2017 the baseball manitoba on honor society most people don't have much to say about awards they get they don't like to bring it up but no, I don't either. It's, I mean, it's, it's more of a longevity thing as far as I'm concerned. So, <laughs> I mean, When you get those I, awards, is that the hurry up, move on kind of thing? Or? Uh, I mean, <laughs> okay, let's go. Let's, yeah, let's yeah, move on. Yeah. No, but, you know, it's all been all these years, but I tell you, that's that's quite the resume. And it's always, you know, it's always an honor to speak to the people that have these awards. Because how many baseball games do you think you've done over the years, speaking of longevity? Uh, not as many as you think. I, I don't know, maybe 1,500. I don't think any more than that. That's a lot of nights away from home, though. 
Well, it is, but we're also talking 30 some years. So yeah, yeah. we're talking 30 some years, but we, I just want to set respect to you and all the individuals that put time at the ballpark. When you break it down, 1500 games at 360 days a year, you're looking at four and a half years of your life on a ball field every on it, like on a day. Yeah, I guess when you break it down, I'm glad you did that because I've never ever done that. Yeah, I mean, you just do, you just do some quick math. You know that that's that, that's five that's five years of evenings consecutive. It's you got to say we wouldn't have baseball if it wasn't for people like you in the future. We won't we won't have baseball in the future if people aren't going to the ballpark either. And you know what, I I can probably name. A dozen guys that have done way more games than that. No, and shout out to them because thank you. It's 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 just nice to be part of a, the umpire, the umpire family, and hearing stories like this. It really is. Brian, we're gonna move on to a part of the show. What we like to call is ten questions. Now I've asked you lots of questions, but I'm gonna try to make this fun. Okay. So okay. if I appreciate your answer, and if I disagree. Let's 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 see here. Nobody's ever gone ten for ten, so I'm going to give you the opportunity. It's like pitching that perfect game or calling that perfect game. I don't know. Well, I'll do my best. Well, that's what they say. Do your best. Can't fail. Then, now, Brian, you're a big hockey fan, right? Me? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have the Battle of Alberta. Flames or Oilers? Oh, who do I want to win, or who who do I think will win? Who? What do What do you want to see? I want to see the Battle of Alberta because it's been 30 years or whatever it is since they last had it. That was incredible hockey back yep. in the night. I think it's going to be better for hockey if Calgary wins. Good call. I think a lot of people are going to cheer for Edmonton and, you know, they got the young guns, but I don't know. I got, you got Lucic there in Calgary and I think just a tougher team that might be able to outplay Edmonton. And they got better goaltending. Yeah, I, I think so. I agree with you there. Well, this is a post-show edit. Just want to say we really blew that one. This show was recorded a day before the series started. Goaltending was definitely not a factor in that series. And those young guns in Edmonton really came out to strut their stuff. Edmonton took the series 4-1. to one, And they're on to the next round. Now, with that being said, at least the Flames made it to the second round. Unlike Blaise LeVay's Boston Bruins. <laughs> didn't even make it out of the first round. Not going to hammer on it too hard, but... I might have made some money from that one. Thanks, Blaze. Time to stop gloating. Now back to the show. Okay, you've been around the world, though, and we've talked food briefly, but if you had the opportunity, are you going to eat a taco or a burrito? A taco. Ah, keep it basic. I like it. Keep it simple. Mm-hmm. Is it all meat or what? Is there a special way to sauce it up? But, but I like the soft shell better. Than oh, the, okay. okay. I can eat both. But. Ah, the crunch is good. Now, a random question, but they say that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Now, you've talked about longevity here. But I want to know, what was the last thing that you think that you learned? Well, I just learned that you I can talk to you with just pushing a little button, which I never thought could ever, ever happen. <laughs> I always get a little nervous when I send some of the links to some people. I want to know how technically savvy they are. Well... <laughs> You know what? If you if you if you can't talk to anybody these days unless you know how to go do Zoom. So yeah. Yep. So well, <laughs> thanks for figuring it out real quick. I, <laughs> I got a little nervous there, so I'm glad and glad it's worked out. We're we're a ways in, so we're we're doing good. You spend a lot of time on the road. Let's say the game gets rain delayed and you're sitting in the clubhouse and you got a, any movie that you can put on. What movie you're going to throw on the tube? A movie. Yeah. 
You're not talking baseball movie here. Uh, anyway. You can go anywhere. I anywhere. Uh, Dances with wolves. You don't like that. <laughs> no, I was. I thought you were going to throw up Gone with the Wind. Honestly. No, no, no. no. Dances with wolves. No, I got to say I've never seen it. I've heard of it, but I've never watched it. So I guess I'm going to have to go watch it. He turns beat one. red, so it must be a good one. Good one. You've played a few rounds of golf in your career, I'm told. Mm-hmm. Who has the better handicap after all those years on the road, you or Suchuk? I'd have the lower handicap. And to say, saying that, it's not a big difference. And since I retired, I've improved way more than he has. Are you better around the green, or you just got longer drives now, or...? Yes. Yes. <laughs> he won't have the opportunity to defend himself, so we'll keep it at that. But then we're talking golf. Question six. Which way do you shoot, right or left? Left. See, you were screwed. You weren't going to get 10 for 10, even the movie, if you would have got that one right. Interesting you mentioned that you shoot left. I was recently talking to someone about golf swings in Canada, and they say that Canada has the highest ratio of left-handed golf shooters. I would agree. And they say it's because of hockey. Absolutely and it is. People learn to shoot left and they stick with it in golf and it works. So, mm -hmm. okay, let's talk curling. What role do you play in curling? Skip. Always need to be in control. What? <laughs> I think the third has the best gig in the, in the book. You get to, you get to sweep a little bit. Well, you get to throw yeah. it and then you get to call the last two shots. Oh, well, huh. I'm normally the skip. So who skipped that day there when you had to go down to Phoenix? <laughs> you know what? I'm not really sure. Team, <laughs> Team Hodge, you had to find a find a quick backup. Let's go with it. Question not, uh, question eight. When you throw, which which hand do you throw with? Right. Is there many left-handed throwers at all? In curling? Oh. Yeah. Not as many as right, but there are some. Okay, we'll bring it back to you. mentioned you were in the SSK warehouse, and I had this on my sheet because I heard the story before, but what did you take out of the SSK warehouse? I took everything I could. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to tell you a story. Yes. I'll tell you a story about that SSK. You were, we weren't on a, a cruise there at the, at the Olympics. You were you could be with four different guys every, every game. So everybody went to this SSK, and there were guys there that had been to Olympics before. Okay. And they, they knew what to expect. One of the guy, one of the senior guys from uh, from Puerto Rico, a guy by the name of Willie Hernandez. I worked the very first game of the tournament, and he was on the plate. And we pull into the dressing room. And we had just had received all this new stuff. And so he walks in, and he's got a big box, and it's all packaged <laughs> plastic, and blah blah blah. So he's got he's got his scissors out, and he's cutting these things all up. And he never brought any equipment. He knew he was getting getting this new stuff. I mean, he picked, he did the Cadillac shin pads with the extensions <laughs> and the, you know the ankle things. Well, I don't want this. I don't want that. So he pared them all down, and he ended up with just like a knee to an ankle shin guard, and cut <laughs> cut everything else off. He did the same thing with the chest protector. I said, "Why did you just take a cheaper chest protector? Because I didn't have to, you know." <laughs> He felt like the big shooter that day, didn't he? But he went out, and it was Japan and Cuba playing that very first game. He went out on the plate with brand new equipment that he never wore in his life. Can you imagine doing that? No. 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 I, I struggle with a new pair of socks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
It was like nothing to him. I mean, though, and when you look at those SSK pants, they're a little bit slim fitting. There's not a lot of room to put pads and extra equipment under them if you're a bigger person. Nice pants, though. They are. They're kind of Cadillac-ish. Beauties. Okay, question ten. I'm gonna play fortune teller with you, but I want to know where you're gonna be on July first to third, 2022. July first to third. I'm going to be in, I think it's Brooks. Oh, okay. I thought we were going to go to Dauphin. Oh, no. You know what? <laughs> I'm not. My, <laughs> my wife is, but I'm not. Because of COVID, they're scaling that way, 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 way back this year. They didn't, they didn't have it the last two years. And they're only having Canadian entertainment there's only going to be 50 percent capacity there it's good it's not going to be anything like it was so i decided hey you know what if i'm going to miss a year this would be the one but you're right i've been there like 30 years in a row that's so okay then i'm going to give you a chance to redeem yourself i respect it it's not going to be the same and you don't want to set yourself up for failure they're going to have terry clark this year like gore bamford i mean i've seen both of those people (laughs) they come every year five times so uh you know it's not a big deal over the years then what's your favorite actor is there a lineup that really sticks out there's been many many acts that i really enjoyed who would be the best tim mcgraw was really good Uh, where's my shirt (laughs) where's my shirt just so everyone knows right now he's going through the closet and all the doff and country fest shirts are can you read that i was wondering if that was going to be one toby keith Toby Keith, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, George Street. I mean, I there's many, many acts that I've, I've really enjoyed over the years. I, I mean, that's a long-standing event. Oh. You know, up until COVID, they really brought in top names. You're looking mm-hmm. at, like you say, Tim McGraw, Alan Jackson. But they're they're this year they're scaling it back, trying to get the people back. And, and it's all Canadian entertainment this year, nothing from the States because well, last year they couldn't even get across the border. Right. So, well, and most of these events, let's be honest, they're probably booked 18 months in advance. Right. Well, exactly. Exactly. So, and at the time when they were booking, they probably didn't know, you know, who's, I mean, we're seeing it in major league baseball. We don't know who can cross the border. Well, they, they Robbie Ray, they switched the pitching order so that he pitched, on Sunday or on the weekend, whatever. So, but you know what? Even in Winnipeg with the Winnipeg Gold Eyes, I mean, last year there were half a dozen guys from from Winnipeg that that played with every visiting team that came into into Winnipeg. Oh, really? Because there was half the team couldn't get across the border. They can't get across the border. I mean, in Canada, you can't come across the border if you're not vaccinated for COVID. And then on top of that. To avoid getting a positive test and going through all a fiasco, you're seeing teams bust themselves from Toronto down through to Windsor and then across to Detroit so that they don't have to take a test. If you cross the border by land, you don't have to take a a test. But if you cross the border via airplane, you need to take a test. So these guys don't want to get positive and then get stuck in Canada or two, get stuck so gamesmanship again, I guess, with your public health. Well, hopefully next year when you're not in Brooks, that <laughs> you get back to Dauphin and there's a there's a pretty good show there for you. Okay, that's, that, that's pretty astute that you would know that. Oh well, thank you. Try to do my research here before the guests come on. Make it a little homely experience. 
Well, I got my boots. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> okay, Brian, let's move on to the second last part of the show, part of the show we call Local Legends. It's where I give you, the guest, the opportunity to share with us somebody who has given back or is giving back to baseball within your community. Okay, well, initially it was it was a Sam uh, Tascona that initially asked me. He's the one that was my biggest influence the first few years. Uh, Gilles Tyon, I don't know if you ever run into that name. He, yep. he was the one that uh, instrumental in me getting my level four status. My level five status, I would say, would be a guy by the name of Howard Chapman, umpire in chief uh, out of BC forever and ever and ever. He was instrumental in seeing me at, at, a, at my first national and then every every couple of years thereafter. And uh, he plugged me right along the way to which enabled me to get to, you know, the higher higher uh, Canadian ranking. Ron Shuchuk is, is uh, I would have to mention him. And uh, he's still uh, very influential in the game and, uh, and will be probably for some time. I'd like to I say my wife. <laughs> yes. Right. Very, very instrumental. And uh, me allowing me to, to follow this path because there's uh, there's lots of people that could could have been or would have been a lot better umpires if they had been allowed to, to do so. And, and she was most understanding and, and cooperative and allowed me to, to follow this path. No question. So. Our, our families and our significant others are... So instrumental in allowing us to leave the house. You know, we might have young kids. We might have family events that we have to drop and go to. They're the real legends. They really mm -hmm. the magic to the sauce kind of thing behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. If you creep home late at night or three, mm -hmm. three days later and you try to pick up where you left off, they're special. Mm -hmm. Well said. Well, essentially, Brian, that wraps up this episode of The Leading Edge. Well, thanks for having me. And I appreciate... Uh, you allowing me to spout off for this length of time. <laughs> well, uh, you're the big shooter. I had to. Yeah. <laughs> I'll always go down as the big shooter. But, Brian, again, thank you for coming on. One of the last things we like to do before we end an episode is we like to give the guests the opportunity to provide a couple words of wisdom to young umpires or umpires in general of how to be a better umpire. So, Brian, what are your words of wisdom? Well, I would say stick with it. I started as a 30-year-old. It's a whole lot different starting as a 30-year-old than, than the 16-year-old that's never umpired a game in his life or maybe in some cases never played a game in his life. Uh, I would say play the game as long as you can. And, and once you're not able to play, if you want to give back, this is a perfect opportunity to give back. And you'll be more than welcome to try and uh There'll be people along the way that'll, that'll nurture you and guide you where you got where you need to go. So having said that, I think that's enough. That concludes this episode of The Leading Edge, where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. Join us on future episodes where we sit down and discuss topics of interest with influential local, provincial, national, international, and professional umpires. Future topics to include working provincial and national championships, the various options to working collegiate baseball in Canada, how we can build diversity within the umpire community, 
initiatives for recruitment, retention, and mentoring within the umpire family, and much, much more. Now, before you go, we would like to leave you with this. There's a common rule myth that people believe that the pitcher is not allowed to wear sunglasses. My response to that is, now coach, maybe they're prescriptive sunglasses. And for the safety of your batters, isn't it beneficial the pitcher can see where they're going to throw the ball? Take care, everybody, and stay safe.